1: More details into Johnny Depp's contentious defamation lawsuit against Amber Heard have surfaced. Two months after Heard was found liable of defaming Depp in a highly publicized courtroom battle in Virginia, more than 6,000 pages of pretrial documents were unsealed and made public, shedding light on matters that attorneys for both sides wanted to exclude from the jury. Here are four of the biggest bombshells. In court documents obtained and reviewed by the Daily Beast and the New York Post, Heard's attorneys argued to bar Depp's legal team from introducing, quote, nude pictures of Amber Heard into evidence for the televised trial, saying it fell under irrelevant personal matters. Also per the unsealed documents, Heard's attorneys also argued to exclude, quote, Amber's brief stint as an exotic dancer years before she met Mr. Depp from the trial. In the filing, her lawyers claimed that Depp's legal team was seeking to introduce it as evidence to frivolously and maliciously suggest or imply that Miss Heard was at one time an escort, according to the Daily Beast. A text exchange alleged to be between Depp and longtime friend Marilyn Manson from 2016 were included in the unsealed documents reviewed by Newsweek, in which the controversial singer referred to now-wife Lindsay Usick as, quote, an Amber 2.0. According to Newsweek, Depp's attorney sought to exclude his texts with Manson from the trial. In unsealed court documents reviewed by Page Six and Newsweek, Heard's lawyers alleged that the 21 Jump Street alum suffered from erectile dysfunction and that, quote, "...such condition absolutely is relevant to sexual violence, including Mr. Depp's anger and use of a bottle to rape Amber Heard." While taking the stand during the six-week trial in Virginia, Depp denied what he called Heard's heinous accusations of violence, sexual violence, that she's attributed to me. He also said the allegations were, quote, "...cruel and all false." Since the trial, Heard has filed to appeal the verdict favoring her ex-husband, who she's been ordered to pay almost $10.4 million. Meanwhile, Depp is seeking to overturn the $2 million verdict awarded to Heard in her countersuit against him. E! News reached out to reps for Depp and Heard for comment on the unsealed docs, but did not hear back. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673 or visit rain.org.
2: A member of the jury in the trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard is speaking out about the verdict. In an interview for ABC News that aired on Good Morning America Thursday, the juror shared that he didn't find Heard's testimony to be sincere, saying, quote, The crying, the facial expressions that she had, the staring at the jury, all of us were very uncomfortable. The juror went on to recall how Heard would answer one question and she would be crying, and then two seconds later she would turn ice cold, saying some of the seven jury members compared it to crocodile tears. ABC did not reveal the name of the juror, but instead identified him as one of five men on the jury. The other two were women. The unnamed man also revealed that the group felt much of Heard's story didn't add up, with some thinking that she was the aggressor. The jurors said that Depp seemed a little more real in terms of how he responded to questions, and his emotional state was very stable throughout the trial. The man also denied claims by Heard and her lawyer that the group's verdict was influenced by social media, saying that he and his fellow jurors followed the evidence. He went on, quote, "...ultimately what I think is truthful was that they were both abusive to each other, but he says there wasn't enough evidence to support the level of Heard's claims." The unnamed juror also said the fact that Heard has not yet donated her $7 million divorce settlement to charity, as she previously vowed to do, impacted their decision. In other insight from the courtroom, the trial stenographer has said that some of the jurors struggled to stay awake during the case, even dozing off during some video depositions. And in an interview with today's Savannah Guthrie, Heard revealed that she didn't blame the jury for awarding Depp over $10 million, saying in part, I actually understand. He's a beloved character and people feel they know him. He's a fantastic actor.
3: Hey lovely listeners and welcome back to Crime Analyst in the Intelligence Cell. Now I'm interrupting my series of the murder of Gabby Petito, and yes, there's still so much more to come. But I wanted to share with you this fascinating interview with my very special guest, Rabia Chowdhury. Rabia is an attorney, advocate, and New York Times bestselling author. She's also a very successful podcaster and has done some incredible things across her career, which you'll hear more about in the interview. Now, with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard back in the news, and you may or may not be aware of some of the developments, including one of the jurors speaking out... The publication of the Sentinel bot report highlighting an organised social media attack and campaign targeting Amber Heard and her supporters. Both Amber Heard and Johnny Depp have notified the court that they plan to appeal their respective verdict and more than 6,000 pages of pre-trial documents that have been made public to name but a few things that have happened of late, which is why I wanted to talk with Rabia and hear her opinion on all of this, as well as the verdict. And I can tell you, we get into a lot more than just this. But before we dive in, I want to give the usual heads up. We do talk candidly about male violence in this interview and our own experiences of male violence, and so listener discretion is advised. Okay, with that having been said, here's the amazing Rabia Chowdhury. I'm really excited to welcome Rabia Chowdhury onto Crime Analyst, and I really would love you to introduce yourself and say about all the incredible things that you've done and are doing
4: Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real honor to be here. I think it's my first time on. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm an attorney and uh, I, for the last six, seven years, have been working in innocence work. Uh, most people, if if they have heard of me, it's usually because of Serial and the Adnan Sayed case. And that's in a case where I've been trying to exonerate Adnan Sayed for 23, almost 24 years now. But then I began working with a team of lawyers, and we developed the podcast Undisclosed, where we take on other innocence cases, ran that for seven years, helped bring home 12 people. Other than that, I I wrote a book about Adnan's case called Adnan's Story and produced that into an HBO series called The Case Against Adnan Sayed. And prior to the work in innocence, I was um, I worked in national security policy for seven years. Before that, I was an immigration and civil rights attorney for about twelve years. So I feel like I've been working since like forever. <laughs> a lot of work, and then I have a second book coming out this year. So yeah, it's been busy. I know that feeling, and you've just gone through
3: some major things that you've done in your career so quickly. But you are a professional. You've been helping people for a very long time, which chimes with me. You're an incredible woman doing this work as well. That's and you really mentioned kind. just in a, in passing that you brought home 12 people. And yeah. can you just say a little bit more about that before we go into some of the cases that we're going to discuss?
4: Sure. So Undisclosed, it's three lawyers who we ran the podcast for seven years. We just closed shop in April, um, not because we're not work, doing innocence work anymore. We're just going to be doing it in a slightly different way. With every case, and we work closely with lots of different innocence projects around the country, with every case that was brought to us, we would mostly reinvestigate the case, try to find new evidence, try to find a way to get this person back in court. In some cases, we couldn't do a full investigative series, but we would want to get like publicity, for example, get a uh, petition signed to get somebody's Death sentence reduced to you know get some clemency reduced to life or things like that, and so twelve of the cases that we've covered have resulted in defendants coming home either through a full exoneration or a sentence reduction, or clemency or some other legal mechanism. And we always work directly with the lawyers who, are, who represent the the defendants, and it's it's real life. We're working as really kind of innocence investigators, and it's real life work. So um, it's incredibly hard but it's really rewarding at the other um, on the other end of it and we don't leave once we're done we don't just walk away from the case we continue to work with the client with the with the defendants and the the lawyers on that for years this year we have three of our defendants that we've already reported on in court um getting like you know different things done one's getting a dna test another so you know i mean like the cases go on we continue to support the families and the defendants through it and hopefully in the next year we'll have three more of our defendants home
3: that's incredible and and cases real life takes a long time, doesn't it? I think sometimes in the true crime space, you know, people podcast and they tell stories, and in 40 minutes, you've got a beginning, middle, and end. But the work that we do takes time and it's detailed, you know, and it's really time intensive and resource intensive, isn't it?
4: Oh, it's incredibly, I mean, it's intensive in any way, in every may, way imaginable. I mean, emotionally yeah. intensive, physically intensive. Right. I mean, you know, for every hour of an undisclosed for the investigative, we ha- we always have one long investigative season a year. And then the rest of the year, we do kind of shorter series, like two or three episodes per case. But we also have one very long one. For every one of those episodes, you, I'm going to estimate about 75 to 100 hours has been put in per one hour you're listening to. We've already spent... 18 months to maybe three and a half years working on that case before you get to even hear about it. So yeah, it's very, and it's hard because you know when families come to us, I just spoke to a family a couple of days ago about a case, and I said, listen, if I start working on it today, the earliest I could get it into the public, you know, space would be two years from now, the earliest, right? Like so, yeah, it takes a long time, and an average exoneration takes uh, like 22 years or something. Yeah, it's a
3: long old road. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. And I guess most people came across your work because of Adnan's case or Heimin Lee's case on, and most people heard about it through serial. I certainly did. In fact, my cousins and, and my auntie, they're all big fans of yours. And they were the ones who said to me, you should listen to serial, which I did. And then I listened to you and I was asked to talk about the case as well. But that's probably where most people know you from. But I, but you have oh, done definitely, so much more. Definitely.
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't pop out of nowhere. (laughs) I mean, by the time, you know, well before Serial, I was writing a column for Time magazine. I had published, I had lots of different bylines. I did a lot of, a lot of my advocacy work was through op ed writing. I've always been a big writer and reader. At the time that I contacted Sarah Koenig, I was actually an international security fellow at the New America Foundation, very prominent think tank here. I did a lot of public speaking, but in a way, all those things kind of really positioned me for when this huge spotlight came to us where I already, I I had done media trainings. Uh, I was in partnership with Google and Facebook doing media trainings for community advocates. So I knew how to do media. I knew how to do social media. I knew how to do the public speaking, the writing. So I was ready. I didn't expect it. Nobody expected cereal to blow up, but when it did, I was ready.
3: Yes, and I've heard you talk about the case numerous times. I think you're not able to say anything more about where you are with it right now, because there is testing underway, isn't there? DNA testing underway, but you can't say much more than that.
4: We haven't gotten results back. Physical evidence in the case, which was like victims' clothing, some hair samples, I believe her shoes, a bunch of things, I mean, have been sent for DNA testing back in April. And you know, we're we're talking about, it's not like one discrete item, right? It's like a lot of clothing. It's like maybe five or six different articles of clothing. And we're getting like very sophisticated DNA testing done, which takes time. And so we have, we just haven't heard back. I am fairly, I feel kind of like in my gut that it's gonna be sometime this fall, but they don't give you a timeline. They don't say, oh, results will be delivered on this date. We just have no idea. And people keep asking me, I'm like, I don't know. I wish I knew, but I, I honestly, we have no idea. Um, Having said that, though, there's a lot of stuff interesting happening politically in Baltimore – Just yesterday was a primary, and I know this will not run at the time, but today is July 20th, and July 19th was a primary in Baltimore City for um, lots of different positions, but one of them is the state's attorney's position, like the head prosecutor. One of the people running is the prosecutor who has been pro bono prosecuting Adnan, keeping him in prison for the last seven years. He lost horribly, which is great. And then the two prosecutors in the lead, and the results haven't been called, but the, the, the other two already support Adnan's innocence. So, you know, this, between one of them taking, you know, being in charge and the DNA results coming, like it's looking really good. I really feel very, I feel like we're gonna have him home this year, Laura. Yeah, I mean, that would be an incredible yeah. breakthrough, wouldn't it? Incredible. And, the, and I certainly hope that the DNA hits on somebody. We have a couple of suspects in mind and I, and I hope it hits on somebody.
3: Hey, lovely, what's your makeup go to? What do you need to face the day? Now for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors and women who are homeless. Now, if you want a wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's ThriveCosmetics, Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S.com slash crimeanalyst for 10% off your first order. Yeah. So those who don't know the case, they can read your New York Times best-selling book because you're an author as well. And also you did the HBO show, which I watched, which was really well done. in yeah. The Case of Adnan Syed, which is on HBO.
4: It is. Yep. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Excellent. And the, the other thing I've been listening to you on actually is Nighty Night. Your, oh, you have. <laughs> I have. Your, okay. your <laughs> podcast. I started listening to it a few days ago, but I have listened to it in the evening as well, just before going to sleep. I listened to Rebecca's episode and also the Route 29 Stalker, oh, which okay. in me Oh, so what you're listening to
4: is you're listening to the recent episodes, which are interview episodes. So this is like just a series of eight that we're doing that are interviews in which we go, we talk about the case behind the actual stories. If you were to go earlier in the season, like beginning from episode one or in, somewhere in there... From last year, then those are the narrative episodes. So we create this fictional story based on a true story that I narrate. And those are a lot of fun to do.
3: Yes. Well, I listened to your episode one that that you did. I kind of flitted around, (laughs) you know, to get a sense for it. But the the Route 29 stalker really interested me because it was a case I didn't know much about. And I also thought your backstory in it that you shared was very interesting too we share a number of things in common. One, we're both mamas. You've you've got a, a little boy who you call baby man, and I yeah. love seeing his pictures, um, and, and your daughter. But two also, daughters. I have two
4: daughters. My eldest is 25, and so she's kind of off doing her own thing. So I can't get pictures of her all the time like my 13-year-old and post about her. But yeah, I have a, I have a 25-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a five-year-old.
3: Wow, that's amazing! I mean, kudos yeah. to you because one and a golden doodle keep me very busy, along with work. So <laughs> you're yeah. you're incredible doing all of all that you do. Um, so yes, the Route 29 stalker a really concerning case, actually, of many oh, yeah. women going missing and seemingly not too much join up around the linking of cases, the analysis, the intelligence. Really concerning, and, and you talked about your own experience as well, which. Was quite enlightening to me, and probably tells me more about why you do what you do and why you're a a fierce advocate as well. But you were abducted too, and uh, it sounds like you were very lucky to be alive. Actually, Rabia, from that experience,
4: absolutely. I think I've never that's probably the only time in my life where I've been. I thought I don't think I'm going to make it. Like I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to die tonight. Like I'm. It was that level of fear, and I just didn't see a way out of the situation. There is no way, whatever this guy had in mind for me, there is no way if he did assault me that he was gonna let me go home after that. He was gonna, and this happened, I was, I, I can't, I mean, I was like 20, I was 27 or 28 um, and I was visiting Pakistan and we were up north in the Northern regions, which is like, Northern regions are always like resort areas but they're just mountainous and hilly and they're kind of terrifying. Imagine a little bit about like the, the Northern areas in Afghanistan or something, right? Like that kind of terrain. And he was a driver with the military and he, and my uncle is in, was in the military. And so this guy was supposed to be trusted and he was supposed to drive me from place A to place B. And he didn't, he just took off with me into the night. And it was, he took off with me maybe around 9.30, 10 o'clock. And for hours and hours and hours, he drove me through like pitch black mountains. It was terrifying. Yeah.
3: It sounds absolutely horrifying.
4: How, how did you manage to escape? I, you know... God, you know, Laura, I think women go all these... Uh, we've all been through this where to try to placate a dangerous man, especially, you're, you try to be nice. You try to play nice. You try to pretend, I don't notice the danger. <laughs> I'm going to just ignore the fact that I realize that you're probably going to try to hurt me. And we're all going to pretend this is all normal. And I spent maybe two or three hours just like trying to talk to him, learn his story. I kept saying, oh, we should head back now. And he's like, no, I want to show you like these places and I and this vista and this pool or this lake. And I'm like, but it's dark and I can't see. And I'm in the back of a military Jeep with plastic siding. And I really, he would keep stopping the Jeep. And when he would go get out, he kept trying to get me out. He said, get out, get out of the back of the Jeep. And I was like, I will not. I was like, I'm, I don't know why, but like my sen- spidey senses kicked in. And I said, if he gets in the back of the Jeep, I'll fight him in here. I'll get on my back. I'll kick. If I'm outside in the woods, like there's, I'm, I'm, it's over for me. And, but even when he'd get outside, like I couldn't see anything. I could not see my surroundings through the plastic. So after hours and hours of like just this weird dance, I finally just said, Fuck it, I just blew up. And I lost my shit. I screamed at him in every language I possibly could. I said, my uncle who's who was like a lieutenant colonel and quite high up in the military, I said, I was like, I'm gonna have him kill you, your children, your family. I'm gonna have them burn your village. I just went crazy. I just started screaming and screaming and screaming. And even though these are remote mountainous areas, there are still people. There are little villages, little hamlets, and people living here and there. And I think when I started screaming as as loud as I can, he was like, shit, you know, I have to. And then he drove down those mountains as fast as he could and deposited me where I was supposed to be. But it was like, I think, 3 a.m., 3 or 4 a.m.
3: My heart's literally in my throat as you're describing these things. I mean, just terrifying and terrorizing.
4: Yeah. And the story didn't end there because he shows up a few hours later because he was supposed to pick me up at 7am and again, give me a ride back to the hotel that I was staying at. Anyhow, it just goes on, but oh man. Yeah. That was, that was the scariest time of my life.
3: And you don't forget that it it stays with you. I mean, I too have been in a situation and when I was listening to, to the case, I was tailgated by a car when I was a student coming back so to my house at university and the lights were right behind me on on my bumper literally and I was going up a hill and I parked my car and the car pulled in right behind me oh
1: and I God. thought
3: just in my head this is probably someone going to say that I'm in their space or something like that right right and I didn't look at his face I looked in the wing mirror and I saw the footsteps him get out of his vehicle and the footsteps and then he pulled my driver's door open and he put a <gasps> knife to my throat. Oh, my God. And he God. was wearing a balaclava. And it took me ages, it felt like, to compute what was happening.
1: That oh, here was
3: somebody, um, balaclava man, with a knife to my throat. It was. It felt like minutes were going by. It was probably a matter of seconds. And I, he kept saying something to me. I didn't even hear what he was saying. And then I kind of jolted into, this is happening. And he was saying, give me your money. And I froze. I mean, I just didn't move at all. I still remember his eyes. That's all I could see. And then I saw my friends. I was parked outside their house. They were coming out. It was a student night. They were going out for the night to Cadillacs. I was at Bath University Mm -hmm. and my eyes darted to them. And in that moment, I just knew that was my time, that if I wasn't going to act, he would probably make me move over in the vehicle and drive me off somewhere somewhere. And so I literally just used my full body weight from sitting down and pushed through him and Mm. managed to scream. And my friend saw, I was yelling, call the police, which they did. And he ran back to his car and drove off and the police eventually arrived but in the back of my mind, what I also knew, because I'd worked at New Scotland Yard for a year, being part of their sexual offences section at that point, that there was a, a rapist in Bath following students in oh their cars, my women. God. I'm
4: getting chills. I've had, oh my God, I'm having chills. Like my whole body, as you're telling the story. That's yeah. terrifying.
3: I knew exactly that there was a man doing this to women. I was lucky because I was probably one of the few who managed wow. to do something proactively, even though I felt totally frozen in fear. Yeah. I knew it wasn't good. I knew he probably wasn't just after my money. And it literally yeah. happened in a matter of minutes. The, when the police came, they said, oh, we think it's probably a robbery. And I had to say to them, well, I doubt it very much. But in those moments... Did the police not
4: know about the local rapist? I mean... (laughs) Well, exactly. And then, (laughs) you know,
3: I told them what I had done previously for a year before I was finishing my... My um, finals, but these are things that women experience all the time oh, yeah. in different guises, whether mm-hmm. it's outside the home, whether it's inside the home, but being fearful of men. And yeah. in fact, I hadn't talked about that. It was only because I was going through all my office things that had been shipped over from London in the pandemic, sorting everything out, that I found the newspaper cut about it and it all sort of came back to me
4: wow. that
3: we have these experiences and they do shape and form us. And they do, as I always talk about male violence, you can walk down a street and you don't know which man is good, which man means you harm in situations. It might be a a man that you know, and you're in the car with them and you're having to manage a situation. But it just struck me when I was listening to the Route 29 stalker case. And I don't even like that term. There's probably multiple offenders really, rather than just one in the time sequence. But the fact that Maybe someone's flashing a woman saying that her tail lights out, or that show you know, mimicking that something's wrong with the car and you pull over, or they say they need help and you stop because you're empathetic. So, there's lots of ways perpetrators can really disempower you, and oftentimes it's using women's kindness and politeness, you know, and empathy and the way that we engage with the world, yeah, and trust, Yeah.
4: yeah ever since my 25 year old started driving particularly. And, you know, when she was like 16, 17, started driving and going around, you know, we live in the DMV, which is DC, Maryland, Virginia. The States are like right an hour from each other. And she would, you know, had friends all over. All of these scenarios are constantly, and I've always been like, if somebody tries to pull you over. I don't care even if they have like a a flashing light on, Like, look for a lighted place, look for a place with people. It's, Yeah, this stuff gets embedded in your psyche um, forever, you know.
3: It does. I mean, that's why with crime analysts, I always say be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instincts. Your instincts are the one thing you can rely on, and I know that served you well, and it certainly served me well.
1: Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Let's get into,
3: well, I'm curious about your take on Depp versus Heard, the case that everybody was talking about. And we've not spoken about it, but I am very curious about your take, what you thought about it, whether you watched it, um, what you thought about the verdict when it came in after two months of it really being a case that everyone seemed to be consumed with. You know, at the time. Yeah. So,
4: you know, as as a trial was ongoing, I kind of didn't comment on any of it because what I was seeing online was like, was just really toxic and kind of crazy and obsessive in a weird way. I didn't, you know, I, I could sense like the circus it was being turned into um, on in media and social media. And I just, I really didn't comment about it. I really expected Johnny Depp to lose this lawsuit. I mean, I, but you know, what people don't really understand is I, what I think people don't really understand is what this lawsuit was actually about. And frankly, when he won the lawsuit, I was shocked, dismayed, horrified, angry. And I literally, I think I tweeted something quite just kind of like real kind of vanilla, not like, you know, I just said something like this is the wrong verdict, something like that. And wow. Wow. I can't remember the last time I've been jumped on like that. I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of Twitter accounts coming after me, and I could immediately sense because I do I do know enough about how like trolls work and bots work. And I said, this is not an organic response. I could tell. I'm like, these are not real people, or there's something is something is being manipulated here. Is what it felt like. Then I think I waited a week or two. And then I do these Instagram lives like once a week when I can. And um, I said, I'm going to spend this whole, (laughs) this week's Instagram live talking about the Amber, you know, this case and why I really do believe that um, the verdict was wrong. And um, what I think happened, uh, why there was so much, why it seemed like there was so much public support for Johnny Depp, which I totally believe was manipulated. And uh, there was um, a report that just came out yesterday from Bot Sentinel. Did you hear about this?
3: I did. I read it yeah, because I was, I felt the same. Whenever I tweeted anything, whether it was just laying out facts of what happened in the UK case, I got besieged. Yeah. And I thought that something was going on for sure. Yeah. And so that report's very interesting. Do you remember the headlines of it?
4: Yeah, I've got it pulled up right in front of me, the quick findings. And for those of you who want to read it, it's a 17 page report. It's a real quick read. Just look up Bot Central Amber Heard, and it'll come up. It's a free report. So this is a firm that basically analyzes social media data to try to like, you know, look for patterns and try to understand what's actually happening. And they identified like over 600 Twitter accounts that basically their full time job was just to tweet, you know, attacking Amber Heard and any of her female supporters. They used all kinds of tactics like copy pasta, which is like copy and pasting the same message over and over and over. And they give examples in the report where it'd be like 25 or 30 different accounts with the exact same tweet, exact same language, exact same structure, word for word. They were spamming hashtags. Like, you know, this hashtag, like Believe Amber Heard, they'd spam them with memes. It was just overwhelming. And I think one of the most dismaying things to me about, as I was watching this happen, was that, you know, clearly a lot of them were bots or trolls or paid somehow to do this. But they were actually having a real impact on the opinions of people I actually knew. People I knew in real life were like retweeting them and falling for it type of thing. You know what I mean? Um, and I that's what was really shocking to me, including lots of women too.
3: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was because it was amplifying And it just seemed to be this tsunami. I mean, even on TikTok, it was particularly bad. But Twitter, Mm. Instagram, I had people who'd never followed me before, never commented. And suddenly my pages turned into the Wild West. And some of my listeners were saying, this really isn't the place to say these things. But it obviously worked. It was very powerful. And I I like what Christopher Boozy has done with this report, because they've actually um, named the 627 accounts yeah. so that you can see who they were. And actually, most of them are real people that yeah. organised this yeah. attack. That's yeah. what I just yeah. finding incredible, that it was yeah. such an organised and premeditated attack to take yeah. down women and women yeah. whose voices actually matter. We have to have these debates when we hear cases. So, yes, and, and a lot of the, the accounts I looked at, and they had just been started... Or they had no followers, or they'd been dormant for six months, yeah. and then they started up. But the vitriol they were spewing was hideous.
4: There could literally be like twenty people behind all six hundred accounts. That's how this stuff works. Yeah, you know, and, and I've been through cycles of this for different <laughs> different issues. I, and I think the report actually said some, or there was there was an article, newspaper article, um, that was quoting the folks from that wrote this report. They said it's one of the worst cases of cyberbullying and like this whole kind of thing happening that we've ever seen. It was really egregious. I and mean, the kinds of attacks they were making against Amber Heard, I mean, it was horrific. But, you know, you know what I wanted to do is, as I talked about the case on my live was to say, I'm just going to talk about this, like, as an attorney. Like, why I think this is a bad verdict legally. And a lot of people did respond and say, okay, I didn't, I didn't really think about it in those ways. It was like this, even people who were like, I watched the trial and I just didn't like her that was literally 90% of the response was, I didn't like her. She was proven to have lied in court or, well, I mean, you know, she got due process and, you know, she lost and it happened in a court of law. So it's all, my entire job is to undo what has happened in a court of law because they got it wrong. My entire job is to say the jury got it wrong and you can easily, I mean, like, and Anybody can lie in court. People get yeah. scared, and people get scared in court. People misremember things when they're being interrogated or or having to testify. There's no one right way. That's why like defense counsel never puts their defendants on the stand, because a jury can read you. If you're trying to be unemotional, the jury's going to say you're cold. If you're emotional, the jury's going to say you're guilty. There's just no way to win if they have a preconceived like notion about you. So it was just shitty because there's ample evidence over many, many, many years that he was abusive, uh, Depp was abusive to her. And all her attorneys really had to prove was to convince the jury that there was, like, one instance of abuse, frankly. Right. Because because the defamation suit was saying that I've never been an abuser. That's what it means, that she's lying when she calls me an abuser, even though she never directly did that either. And there's ample evidence that she did, including contemporaneous messages from his assistants, people who knew him reaching out to her and saying, we're sorry about what he did to you. I saw him kick you. I mean, that's evidence.
3: Yes. So you thought the verdict was wrong in terms They're of wrong. how the jury and arrived very at their decision making.
4: And very damaging. I mean, like, it's really damaging. And, you know, now we, the Marilyn Manson stuff, like, that case is going to roll around. Like, every man who has the power to is now going to sue for defamation, and when they, you do that, you're putting the burden back on the, the victim to begin with, the person who says they've been victimized to begin with. It's just going to silence more people, more victims.
3: Yes, and it's a it's a white rich man's sport, really, defamation sure. trials. You have to have it a is. lot of
4: money, don't you?
3: And, a and lot time of have, and resources. Yeah. Money, time and resources, and these cases go on for a long time. Um, I've been part of a process of a very big case where I was deposed. And I, and I think people don't really understand the legal process and what's entailed and that a judge will make a decision about what is presented in court. So a lot of Amber Heard's evidence as well wasn't allowed to be presented in court. It was suppressed by the nine lawyers who made a very good case on Johnny Depp's behalf, nine lawyers versus three. Yeah, But I, I too found it, incredible, really, given that the defamation case was about three lines that was written in the op-ed piece. Right. There seemed to be a, a stray from what the actual case was about. And it became whether, or it came down to whether people believed Amber Heard and whether she had abused Johnny Depp rather than whether he right. had abused her just Which on was never
4: one count. Right. I mean, I saw that over and over again. She's the one who abused him. You know what? Maybe she did. I mean, like, that's not the question that's being presented in court here. And I really actually do believe that the jury decided, came to their verdict based on thinking that we think she's an abuser. If they thought part of that abuse was that she lies about him being an abuser, maybe I can understand how they reached that conclusion, but I don't even think it was that. I think they independently decided she's a horrible human being. She probably has abused him. And so that's it. But look at what we've gone through. We've got, like, we've got a Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, the woman. But he, frankly, you know, sexual assaulted, raped, you know. She wasn't a good enough witness, even though she... None of the things that people say about Amber Heard could be applied to her. Um, Blasey, I'm sorry, what's her full name? Christine Blasey Ford. Thank you, sir. Christine Blasey Ford, excuse me. I'm really bad with names. Yeah, Christine Blasey Ford, incredibly dignified. Has no reason to put herself in the spotlight and relive this and come under attack. No reason to doubt her credibility. I mean, like... But that doesn't work for people. Like, you know, it's like, there's no way. And I got really angry when people were saying this. They were saying Amber Heard made it worse for victims, made it harder for victims. Like, she's going to be the reason people don't believe victims. I'm like, people already don't believe them. That's bullshit. (laughs) We have a history of this. Anita Hill.
3: I mean, like, come on. People already don't believe them. That's exactly right. And in fact, just today I posted about the fact that when women report, they're not believed. There's been a number of cases just in the last few days, actually. And many historical cases I've commented on where women call police for help and they're not believed and nothing happens. So I do feel as a woman's advocate that we encourage women to report. We encourage women to stand up and call things out. And yet when they do, Most people say, we don't believe you. Well, where's the physical evidence? They want to see video footage. I mean, you don't get video footage of when you're being assaulted. It just seems to be this bar setting just gets higher and higher, whereas a man can just say, I didn't do it. I was in drugs and alcohol. I don't remember a thing, but I didn't do it. And they're just believed. And
4: that's outrageous. This trial was not a he said, she said. It was, he said, and she presented evidence. I mean, like, that's what it really was. And even it, even the partial evidence should have been enough to prove that she did not defame him. She did not make this up. And, you know, what's always, like, interesting to me is that people who have not experienced... I, I'm a DV survivor for my first marriage, and then I'm also a sexual assault survivor. I never reported either of these things. I was in law school when both of these things happened never reported it because i couldn't bring myself to do it there's so much there's tremendous shame there's all kinds of things that keep women from doing it and for all these years later i said i want to talk about it you know both of these men could sue me for defamation and i have no evidence other than just knowing right like so to this day that, that how hard it is for women to come forward i i honestly believe that victims don't come forward until and unless like they are cornered and compelled to it is the one of the hardest things to do. Whereas people will say the same way people think. No, I, nobody would falsely confess to something they didn't do. People also tend to think, of course, if I was a victim, I would just tell the police, and it would all just fall into place. No, no, you wouldn't.
3: Yeah, it just doesn't happen. And I'm glad that you shared that as well, Robbie. And I'm sorry to hear it. It just mm-hmm. shows how prevalent abuse and abusers are, oh, yeah. and that women carry these things around. You know, I've been stalked multiple times not just by the guy in the car and, and abused. And on occasion where I have reported it, it's not that the police didn't believe me, but it's other people within the sector then piled on because one of the abusers Davo'd me. And the Darvo tactics that come in, we, we saw that at court with yeah. Depp and Herd, you know, where you deny and you attack and you reverse the victim offender role. And it, yeah. and it happens a lot. I'm just covering Gabby Petito's case as well, where yeah. I saw on camera... It happening with Brian Laundry, who lies to the police and at no point do they challenge his narrative and they just right. accept, despite two male eyewitnesses, they accept right. what Brian said over what Gabby is saying. I just find it really concerning that we're in 2022, where we're still having to explain the very basics of abuse and believing women. And I think the dep Heard trial has really magnified, actually, the misogyny that was already there, but we're now seeing it on the surface, aren't we, for the first time? And I think so many people were so upset by that level of misogyny just being so overt and targeted. But it's not the first
4: time. I think the first time to me, well, no, I mean, there is no first time. It just goes, we had a president who was elected despite 26 women, I think, coming forward and say he in some way, shape or form has assaulted or attacked or maybe even raped them. And 26 women weren't enough, right, to stop his political career. And he goes on and become president. I mean, how much more blatant is a misogyny when someone like that can be what I would arguably say is one of the most qualified women in the country, right? Like, so it's it's... Uh, Frankly, I mean, like, as awful as this verdict was, I wasn't completely surprised because this is just, this It's not just in this country. This is just like how people are everywhere. I mean, like, yeah.
3: Yeah, perhaps it's a a symptom of, of our time, given the Me Too movement and where we are now with Roe versus Wade being overturned. But perhaps just before we move on to that, one last thing I'd like to say about Depp and Heard was that we did hear from a juror, didn't we, who spoke out and really, to me, confirmed what I thought, which was what the jury got it wrong, because the Mm. juror said that he believed that it was mutual abuse, i.e. they both abused each other, which I never buy into mutual abuse. There's always a power imbalance and one abuses the other, even if the power imbalance isn't that easy to spot which mm-hmm. I think in this case, it's very easy to spot. But Clear. the male yeah. said he believed it was mutual abuse. Well, the, ergo, if he believed it was mutual, they would have found in Amber Heard's favor because they only right. had to prove or to find in favor of one. And that just shows yeah. how much her likability, her credibility played in over and above. They They kind of missed the point of what the trial was about.
4: I don't know if they missed the point or if they decided we want to punish her. We want to punish her because she's making him out to look like the... Perpetrator, where she herself also maybe is she's not a good person. She's not a good woman. She wasn't a good girlfriend or whatever. I think it was a way, yeah, to just kind of put her in her place. If he's saying it's mutual abuse, you're acknowledging that he abused her, which means there's no defamation. She didn't lie. And it's not a difficult legal concept here. <laughs> this is the analysis is very clean cut. But they and I think they understand that. They knew that, but they didn't care. They ignored it. And that's the thing. And this happens all the time. Jurors ignore jury instructions and decide, no, I don't care. If my gut's telling me one thing and I just don't like that person, it is what it is. Yeah,
3: Yeah, very interesting that perhaps it was something more about the the punishment of of her.
4: And I do think that the kind of response we saw online, and, you know, beyond Bot Central on this report, there were also reports that came out around the same time as the trial was going on about, and I can't remember which group it was, but there was some right-wing media group, or figures who had like paid a large sum to like give Johnny Depp um social media support and stuff like that, and I don't have all the details in my head, but I do think there is kind of a collective, this collective sense of punishing women for the Me Too movement. I really think so. I feel like this is like, you know what I a mean, backlash. like the, a backlash uh, yeah. against Me Too. That you know what, like how dare you try to hold anybody accountable, hold us accountable, and this is us putting you back in your place. You're gonna have to take it, and then and if you don't, then we can sue you into the ground. Stay quiet.
3: I mean, that again talks to the power imbalance, though, doesn't it? Because the money and power speaks. And yes, there is a move now within PR firms to hire bots and companies who are very good at misinformation, disinformation, but also targeted attacks many of which you you can't see on the surface, which is why I'm grateful to Christopher Boozy's report. And, and full disclosure, they were hired originally in 2020 by Herd's legal team, mm. and he makes that clear. But actually, when he did this piece of work, he was independent, well, not hired by anybody, but wanted to dig under the surface to see what was really going on. So yeah. trolling the trolls, in essence. And I think we need to see more of that and follow the money trail back to... So who's hiring yeah. people or yeah. companies to do this, to silence yeah. women? Because that's really what it, it's tantamount to.
4: Yeah, but and I'm sorry if I'm being kind of a Debbie Downer here, but even if they're able to establish that literally Johnny Depp paid with his a personal check <laughs> for this stuff or whatever, his legal team did, then what? Like, there's still no accountability. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's not like the verdict can be revisited based on that, right? Because... What happened in the courtroom happened in the courtroom, right? But he also, by and large, won in the court of public opinion. And for him, that's very valuable because he wants to continue. He wants to continue to act and work and be hired and be loved. And that's what he paid for. But uh, there's no way you can get a verdict overturned because he paid for bots or something like that.
3: Yeah, but then I I hear what you're saying, but then there's still the exposure, isn't there? Sometimes things take a long time to expose what really went on. And I do think that's important, even though there might not be. You know, an yeah. accountability of the day of reckoning. Yeah. But I think it's important yeah. for people to see what really happened. And that's what power imbalance yeah. is all about. And really, yeah. it just was magnified what he yeah. did to her on a mass scale.
4: The amount of social media that I saw in support of Johnny Depp and attacking Amber Heard was so overwhelming. I know it was scary for a lot of people. Even for me, I was like, should I say anything? I know I'm baiting. I'm baiting this. And that's why very few people did, or any kind of public figures, did like come out and say anything publicly to support her because they were just going to be destroyed. It was kind of scary.
3: It was. And and yeah. I debated whether I should say anything, particularly being a new mom and you, your yeah. bandwidth you know and your psychological well-being is more fragile and you're more vulnerable but i felt it was important to just say yeah. with with no raw skin in the game what right. i saw and what i understood and which is why i was posting on what happened in the royal courts of justice in london mm. and the takedowns i was getting of real vitriol just for yeah. posting fact i wasn't even putting my opinion in it i was just right. saying this is what happened that he was found to be an abuser of Amber Heard in 12 out right. of 14 incidents. That's what the judge found and a 129-page report was written, just when I was just saying the facts. It, it was right. nothing to do with opinion. And that's when I thought something was off, that yeah. I was receiving all these very bizarre messages and real vitriol. I sadly think a lot of people did keep quiet because they didn't want to be subject to it. And that, again, shows that the tactic works.
4: I also think they didn't want to be subject to it. And I also think it made people like, second-guess their instinct. They were like maybe I'm wrong. If there's all this overwhelming support, maybe I didn't quite understand what happened. Maybe not everybody watched like every day of the trial, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe they just didn't, they're like, maybe I just don't know enough. My intuition on this is actually wrong.
3: Yeah. I mean, I watched a lot of it, but what I was curious to see was a lot of women who were messaging me saying, I'm a victim or I'm a survivor of abuse and she's lying because, and that really bothered me. so many women who had been subject to abuse themselves were saying well because I've experienced it and she said X and that couldn't have happened therefore she must be lying and it was the judgment and blame that it was really concerning to see that level of anger directed at her from survivors.
4: Yeah and you know I I think and I don't know much about Amber Heard's upbringing but from what I understood I think she probably had a very difficult upbringing and has been a, probably a survivor multiple, of multiple things. But I was explaining to a friend one time after all this happened, I said, you know, I spent about a decade doing immigration law, and part of the work would be when clients, immigrants, would have interviews with uh, immigration officers. You know, it's just you, your client, and an officer in a nice, clean, cozy office. There, it's not an interrogation room. It's not a courtroom. It's just an office. And all the is going to do is go through their application and say, can you confirm to me your date of birth, the place you were born, your names of your brothers and sisters, and even in situations like that, I would have clients who would forget their date of birth, who would forget that I have six sisters and not, you know, and, and 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 name five. And I mean, because the kind of pressure you feel in situations like that, and you know you're being heavily judged, I mean, it can really mess anybody up. So I'm, I'm sure there's times when Amber Heard just misremembered stuff, just got confused. And, and there might be times when she just did just really just, you know, and I, and our memories are also like that too. They're so malleable. They fill in spaces and we believe something happened when it didn't happen. So I'm not here to say every single thing she stated was 100% accurate fact. She probably got lots of stuff wrong. But I don't care about that. To me, the case is about like those contemporaneous evidence that she was abused. And I think that was clear.
3: Yeah, the diaries, the notes, even his own yeah. agent... Of yeah. 30 years, Tracy Jacobs, who said yeah. that he was controlling and jealous and many experts saying yeah. it. So, I yeah. mean, that's what yeah. I saw from her. I mean, he's
4: got a history of being the bad boy, violent, drunk, who, like, intimidates the press and threatens. Like, oh, is it a stretch that he could do exactly. something like that to us? I know that's not the way to judge, but honestly, come on, it fits the bill. No, I
3: mean, trauma does have a huge impact. And sure. particularly if you're in a courtroom... And you know this, but I certainly know it as somebody who's given evidence and been in that situation where you're faced with 20 lawyers at a time. You are a lawyer. I mean, the whole process is intimidating. It's very scary. Yeah. You know, it's adversarial. You're going to be attacked. Your credibility will be attacked. And I think most people forget about that and the cameras, having cameras there too, where it's being blasted across the world. I mean, It was really unbelievable to me, actually, that people could just watch and they were seeing it as entertainment. And I find that very concerning, you know, that Team Johnny, Team Amber, as if it was all a game, which it wasn't.
4: I do think, I mean, it was problematic from the beginning that it was televised at all. I don't think it should have been televised. And I, while I believe in transparency in the courts, it doesn't mean everything should be televised live. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that just kind of added fuel to the fire.
3: I do too. And I think people forget there are real people at the end of it and yeah. there's still vibrations from it. Well, yeah. before we get to the end of our discussion, there's so many things I could talk to you about. I've been wanting yeah. to have this conversation for a very long time. It's just finding the time to. But I, I wanted yeah. to hear your thoughts on uh, Roe versus Wade being overturned and whether you thought that would ever happen and what oh, you God. think, you know, the repercussions are. Okay, I'm jumping in here to wrap part one of my interview with Rabia. What a cliffhanger, right? And Roe versus Wade being overturned is an incredibly important subject, even if you're not in America, because it's already having ripples on the pond. The fact that it has happened and the repercussions of it happening are something that I literally can't stop thinking about. It's omnipresent for me. And I know that's true for so many of you. After all, how can our daughters face a future of fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers before them? And why is the focus and impact solely on women? And why is it men rushing through various pieces of horrendous and potentially life-threatening and life-ending legislation in various states across America, including Indiana? Well, you'll have to tune in to part two of our conversation next week. Until then, be curious, ask questions, and always trust your instinct. Here's my final two cents before the episode wraps. If you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to Crime Analyst or on the website www.crime-analyst.com. It really helps others find me and also helps with the ratings. Crime Analyst is written, produced, and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio.